I'm more and more convinced every day of the difficulty of how to walk with God. That it's inc- like the call of God on our lives is so hard. Is it not? Like the call to be the people of God he calls us to be. To love our neighbors the way he calls us to. To be unselfish, self-sacrificing, loving friends, husbands, fathers, mothers, wives. So hard. But I'm more and more convinced every single day that God's commands come with God's supply. And the means by which we live out the things that he commands and demands of us. He comes right behind it, even in front of it, and says, I'm going to do it in you and through you if you just relax. And so um, I'm really excited about what's coming. Um, So we have uh, today and then next week focusing in on prayer um, and just pressing in hard to the Lord. Um, And then the first three weeks in February, I'm going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And part of the reason why I think uh, I'm excited about this is, one, for those of you that journeyed with my study on the Holy Spirit, it was just profound. It was just powerful. Um, but I've but been talking more and more about the, the neglect of, like, that God is in us, and He's the means by which we live out the very things He calls us to. And so um, I'm going to, for three weeks, kind of whet your appetite regarding the idea that the Spirit of God is in you, to empower you to live in you and through you and be the means by which the kingdom of God is advanced in your life, in our church, and in the world. And, and then part of what in your appetite is going to be in preparation for something that's coming in March. We're going to help train and equip you to live in the Spirit's power. And I won't, I'll, I'll spare you for the details. We'll, we'll um, save that for what's to come, but been meeting with a group of folks, praying and asking God what he would have, and we're believing him for some just real practical training and equipping on um, who is the Holy Spirit, and what are spiritual gifts, and how do you actually live in the Spirit's power in your life, um, in this church and in the world. And so um, that's what's coming um, starting in next week, or I'm sorry, um, starting in February, and then launch into some very practical stuff um, outside of this setting um, in March, and we'll talk about that more later, but I'm really excited about that. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 58. I won't get there right away, but I promise I will get there. I think it's in my notes, so we'll see how that goes. Um, Let me pray. Papa, I beg of your presence this morning. I beg that you would meet us here. I beg that the words that come out of my mouth would be so full of you that we would be undone. 
I beg that the words we would read off the pages of our Bibles would be so illuminating and powerful that we could hardly get up out of our seats and walk out these doors at the end. And I don't just ask those things hoping, but I ask believing. Because you're a God who makes promises and keeps promises. And God, your spirit is just so thick this morning. And so would you come? We invite you here that we would be changed by the truth of your word. God, somehow in your grace, you've used my attempts to communicate your gospel this morning. And I pray that we would never be the same in Christ's name. Amen. So, I'm sure uh, many of you have had um, things that you've longed for you've hoped for, you've just anticipated. And I've kind of shared this journey a little bit, but I want to kind of re-enlighten you to the, the journey of us getting into our new home because it's like just, I can't even tell you how refreshing it is to live in a basement for almost four years and now to have a house to ourselves. I told Danielle yesterday, I was like, how awesome is it that we don't have to worry about our kids breaking all your parents' stuff? They can break our stuff. And like, it's all right. You don't have to like, you know, get on them for breaking stuff, and then go apologize to the in-laws for them breaking not your stuff, but their stuff. And then, anyway, it's just kind of a stress. It's not as stressful. Um, So uh, probably about two years ago, um, probably more than that, we started this hunt um, for a house. And it was, um, for those of you, many of you have been through that process. It's been kind of cool, the number of people that have kind of, you know, pursued a home and even found homes here. And um, it's just like all engaging, all encompassing. Um, and so, and, you know, Danielle and I, we, you know, we prayed and we're like, God, where do you want us? And it, it wasn't so much about, you know, um, this house or that house. It was just like, God, is this where you want us? And we found a house, um, not the house that we're in, but we found a house um, down uh, how to shell. And we believed God for this house. I mean, we absolutely believed God for this house, and we put our heart and our energy, and we fasted, and we prayed, and we wrote a pros and cons list as to, like, should this be the house, and should this not be the house, and, like, it was way too close. Like, those lists sometimes just, they just do more harm than good, right? Um, And so, um, we, in our minds, lived in this house, and this was where God wanted us. Um, The problem was um, this silly word called um, short sale. Okay, then maybe you guys know the deal, right? Okay, um, so uh, in, in the midst of this whole process, we, were, we, we put an offer in, and we we're fighting for this house. Um, the seller decides, I'm going to file um, bankruptcy, doesn't tell her realtor, and so um, about the time we put in our offer, files bankruptcy, and so like, now what? Well, the, the house then goes into the court system with our offer. So we're like, what does that mean? And I still don't know really what that means. And um, realtor says all this stuff, and I'm just like, okay, whatever, I'm paying you because you know what you're doing. I don't have a clue on what I'm doing or you're doing. Um, and so um, long story short, um, after six months of believing God for this house, um, it didn't happen. And we were absolutely crushed. Just the like, this is 
it. We want this, just the longing for it. And then so we kind of took a deep breath, and we're like, okay, let's start the journey again, and a little more hesitant, like, you know, like, we're going to kind of pursue this, but we're not going to, like, put our heart and soul into it because we just don't want our heart and soul to be absolutely demolished. And so, um, so we found the house that we're in now, and, um, and March 20th, we closed. And we moved in four days before Christmas. Um, and so the anticipation of um, longing for that day, like all the work that went into it and all that you guys did to help us get in that place. Um, and now we're there, and like, it's incredible. But you know what? There's a level to it that I'm just like, it's just not, it's just not it. Like all the energy and all the work and all the pleasure and joy of this beautiful home that's like, I asked Danielle yesterday, like, is there anything you'd change about our house? And she looked at me and said, uh-uh. But like, just always ask the Lord to guard my heart from thinking that that's my Savior. Like, this is, this is our answer. And so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of longing and satisfaction um, but satisfaction, um, not in the physical, but, but in Christ, okay? Um, and, I, and we're going to talk this morning about something that I think is incredibly neglected in the Christian faith, um, and that's fasting, okay? Um, we're going to talk about what, it, what, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the spiritual discipline of fasting, And I truly believe this is something that um, we think in our minds is for like the spiritually elite. Um, Like there's a second class of uh, Christians that deny themselves of certain things and fast. And uh, in our minds we even think fasting is just associated with food. And so I want to navigate through through several texts and think through some of these different things. But I want to start with this question. I want you to answer this in your mind. What is it that steals your satisfaction from Christ? What is it that steals your satisfaction from Christ? That if you're not careful, the enemy will creep in the back door. There'll be temptation that this is where you tend to want to run. Jesus unpacks a parable in Luke chapter. 14. Ben, put that parable up for me. Luke 14. Um, it's a parable of um, the banquet feast. And uh, it goes like this. Luke 14. Um, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Okay, now, I know there's several in this room that, like, when you throw parties, like, you throw parties, okay? Like, it's not just, like, come and let's have some more d'oeuvres and we'll kind of hang out. Like, it's, like, full-fledged, like, pour all your heart and soul into, like, the meal and, like, the activities, the entertainment. Like, I mean, it's well done. So picture this feast, like, banquet feast, like, Everything you could want to eat, you could want to do, okay? The invitation is put out to come to this feast. And all of the energy in preparing for the guests to come. 
Now everything's ready. Have you been to that point? You're like, Whew. actually, probably when we get to that point, like you're not ready. People start coming in the door, and you're like panicking. Everything's ready. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. You understand the disappointment of you pour your heart and soul and energy into preparing something, and then people don't come. People don't get excited, right? Okay, so they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Awesome. A piece of land, a little field. Come on, go mow my yard. The first, I'm sorry, um, 19. And, and another said, I've, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I will go to examine them. Please have me excused. Oxen, really. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Okay, on that one I can maybe a little understand a little bit more, okay? Um, but the, the other ones are a little more baffling. But here, here's the illustration, Okay. Illustration is the banquet feast is like an invitation into the love of God. Okay? And so the invitation is out for, for all to come into the love of God, but the excuses that are given are hilarious, are they not? Like, I cannot come to the greatest invitation ever because I have some land to see to. I bought some property, and I need to, like, you know, clean it, make sure it's good. Oxen. What is it that demands your time? Probably don't have oxen. But what is it that demands your time, that you just spend so much time and energy making sure it's okay? Because it's interesting, because I have to go examine them. Just this like, almost like worshiping what you have in exchange for the invitation of the love of God. Or maybe it's a wife, or a husband, or the longing for a wife, or a husband, that distracts you, that pushes you away. And listen, even in, in good pursuits, right? We talk all the time about being good Christians, about loving our wives, about loving your husband. Like, all those are good things, but you know what? The Bible says that they can be a very huge distraction to your pursuit of God. They can also be a very huge springboard into your pursuit of God. John Piper writes this book, A Hunger for God. Fabulous. I recommend it highly. You might have to read uh, every chapter twice to really get your mind around it, but it's a good book. Um, He says this, um, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. Just a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm just, and it's like we're so full of the small stuff that we have no room for, for the, the grandeur, the glory of God in our lives. 
And I believe that God calls us to this spiritual discipline that I want to talk about this morning of fasting. Because what it is, is it's a litmus test for idolatry. The spiritual discipline of fasting rises to the surface. When you engage the spiritual discipline of fasting, it rises to the surface, the idols in our hearts. Okay, that's what I want to show you today. Um, When you think about fasting, probably the number one thing that comes into your mind is what? Fasting from what? Food. Okay, and I love what Piper says um, about that. He says, the issue is not food per se. The issue is anything and everything that is or can be a substitute for God. Listen, at the heart of fasting is the, is the issue of satisfaction. Like what satisfies you? And if you've ever fasted, if you've ever fasted from food, you understand like the longing. Like I just cannot wait to eat. Okay, now I'm not talking about like, um, you know, missing a meal because we've all done I'm talking about missing like several meals and there's just this aching in your belly. Some of you are like, I had breakfast and I'm already feeling that way. Okay, a little bit different here. This aching in your belly to eat. And then just, like, when you do, you're just full and you're satisfied. Well, let me define fasting. I just totally made this up myself. So, um, abstaining from something for a time in order to press deeply into the Lord and run from distractions my personal definition of fasting. Abstaining from something for a time in order to press deeply into the Lord and run from distractions. Biblically, fasting was often associated with this affliction of the soul, okay? And it was attached to mourning. When there was sadness and mourning happened, people would fast. So we see that all over the scriptures. Um, Another book I'd recommend on the topic of fasting is one by a guy named Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. He has a chapter in there on fasting. He defines fasting this way. Um, More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. That control us. What is it that like you run to, you navigate, or really you're navigated and pushed by? What is it that controls you? You can't do without. Is it your money? and the, The way your money lands is how you are pushed around in life. Is it social media and the responses or not responses or the feeds or what is it? Relationships, approval of man. Like, like what is it that controls you? You might not know how much Facebook controls you until you go a week without it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be dominated or mastered by anything. So here's the Apostle Paul. And what he's saying is that I want to live my life in such a way that there's nothing in my life that controls me other than Christ. No food. No no drink. No material possession. No money. No relationship that controls me other than Christ. And Piper in his book talks about, as Christians, oftentimes we find ways to just cope. And just be 
partially satisfied. And, and Piper proposes that fasting is a means to bringing us into a flourishing and a rejoicing in Christ that pushes us past just this coping on the surface level with the things of God and this surface satisfaction with the things of God, but we really can press into the depths of God. Now, let's get practical. Isaiah 58. Here we go. Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 1. This is Jehovah God speaking. Cry aloud... Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, so here's God, and he's telling this to who? Any idea? Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. God's saying to Isaiah, I want you to proclaim this to my people, as my prophet, as my spokesman, um, I want you to proclaim this to my people, declare to them their transgression. Okay, now go to verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. Okay, so it's like this wishy-washy, like we know the nation of Israel to be like, you know, one moment they're following God, and the next moment they're not, and then they smoke some of something, and then they repent, and they turn back to God. Um, and he's like, call them out. Be a prophet. Call them out. Now, verse 3. Here's the nation of Israel speaking about fasting, and about pursuing God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? So they're like, we've denied ourselves of food and other things in order to know you, but you don't even recognize it. Okay, so let me make this point. It's important. Okay, notice that it's not an issue of like whether they fast or not. Okay, all throughout the scriptures, the Bible implies And it's understood that the people of God take on the spiritual discipline of fasting. Okay? It's just like, it's not not even like commanded. It's just like when you do it. Here's how you do it. It doesn't even say like do it. It just says when you do it. We'll get to that text in a second. So maybe you're like, you don't do it at all. Okay, and so the first step is to engage it and, and begin to engage in that spiritual discipline. But, but more than that, like, the nature of how you go about the spiritual discipline of fasting is of incredible importance. Because here they've done it, and they're like, God, we, we've denied ourselves, and you're not really doing anything here. Middle of verse 3, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So they've made fasting mainly about themselves and what they get out of it. It's just about my denial. Look what I've done for you, God. Um, It's just all about them. Verse 4, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Okay, so probably the best scenario I've seen this play out 
Um, have you ever heard of the 30-hour famine? Anybody? Anybody ever done a 30-hour famine? Okay, I've done two in my life. One, I was a student, and one, I was in charge. Um, and uh, they're always interesting um, because, you know, here's how it starts out. Like, so you're in, like, a church. One of them I was in a church, and one of them I was in a school. And uh, what happens is, like, it's not really so much for you to fast for, like, you to seek the Lord. I guess that's part of it. But it's more about what? Creating awareness for the needs around the world, and you raise money, and you, you know, learn about hunger and people who aren't fed, and then you go and you help meet those needs, or you pump money into those needs, okay? And so, like, you deny yourself of food, and you're with friends, and so you play, like, all kinds of crazy games, and, and like, you're just, you know, there's, like, you know, back in my day, like, that 17 Nintendo set up, and, um, and so you're sitting there playing games and playing basketball, and, um, uh, we played, uh, like, flag football, and I think somebody, like, broke their leg, and then they had, it, was, it was pretty intense. Um, but, like, so towards the end of the 30-hour famine, it gets rather interesting because here's what you have happening. It always ends with what? A feast of some sort, right? Okay, so both of them that I've been a part of, um, so we're winding down to the last several hours of the 30-hour famine, and in the kitchen, someone is cooking, and so for the last several hours, you just smell the intense smell of whatever they're making. And really, it doesn't matter what they're making. It's just food that smells good because you haven't eaten in so long, um, and you just want some. On top of that, like, you haven't really slept well, um, and you're hungry, and so you're, like, at each other and, like, you know, yelling at each other, fighting, uh, you know, just it's, just, it's just bad, right? Um, and then, like, in the end, everyone survives, everyone eats, and um, it's fairly ugly. Um, but awareness was made, and money was raised, and yeah, um, all for the 30-hour famine. Um, it, is a good, it is a good thing. Um, but what's happening here in this text is Israel's made this fasting all about them. And all about what it does for them. And even in verse 5, Isaiah's sarcastic. I love in the Bible when people are sarcastic. In verse 5 he says, Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Okay, so it's all about like, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I'm denying of myself. Look at my mourning. Um, be sad for me. It's all self-centered. Um, so if you want to, at the bottom of verse 5, you could almost draw a line. Everything above verse 5 is all what I call false fasting. And everything below verse 5 is true fasting. And in verse 6, it says this. Is not this the fast that I choose. Okay, now, listen, pay attention, because this is, this was kind of very eye-opening for me, okay? Because what it's about to unpack about the nature and the purpose of fasting um, is pretty impressive. Um, a lot of times we think fasting is mainly about, like, my spiritual discipline, um, who I am, what it does for me, okay? There's a level of that. It's not either or, it's a both and, but look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose 
the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps of the yoke and let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Okay, so fasting is all about freedom. Just your freedom? Just about your free, it's just about overcoming your oppression? No. Keep going. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So maybe fasting for you looks like I'm going to not buy myself clothes. I'm going to buy clothes for homeless people. I'm going to deny myself of that. But notice the outward trajectory of the spiritual discipline of fasting that it's not just about us and a a hunger in our bellies for some food that's supposed to have some like, you know, little illustration of what it looks like to hunger for God. Like it, it does that. It absolutely does that. But listen, the oppression that you feel in denying yourself of something so you can press deep into the Lord isn't just this self-salvific reality. It's all about that and how it propels the kingdom of God forward. Verse 8, I love this. Then... So after you've gotten past the reality that fasting is all about you, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Maybe you've spent time fasting. And you're just like, I didn't hear him. Like, I've denied myself of... I've tried to be biblical of denying myself of food or drink or a relationship or social media or my cell phone. Or, and you're just like, I just didn't hear the Lord. Could it be that you've made it about you and not about loosing the oppression of others and praying for the freedom of the, the unsaved neighbor next to you, of your unsaved coworker, of the, the, the warfare that's going on in your family, of the, the enemy's attack on your wife or your husband or your best friend or your kids. Because it clearly says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. You take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. Verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. That's not just a picture of your spiritual and my spiritual well-being. It's a picture of the flourishing of the kingdom of God in our own hearts, in our community, and in our world. 
Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Let's bring this down a little more. We'll get more and more practical as we, as we go here. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16. So fasting isn't about some spiritual class that some sit in and, and others don't. Notice it's not even commanded here. It's just understood that you do it. Verse 16. And when you fast, it's just understood. It's what the people of God do. They deny themselves for the purpose of pressing into the Lord. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, three things I see in this passage. Um... I don't even know if I agree with my next point that I'm about to give you, because I just told you differently. Now, number one, according to what's in my notes, fasting is commanded, kind of. <laughs> I love when I contradict myself. Fasting is commanded. No, it's not if. Like, if you fast, it's kind of a choice. Like, when you fast, it's understood that you fast for all Christians, not just for the elders of a church, not just for a pastor, not just for someone who's been Christian a long time, for all of God's people. Fasting is private. Notice here, the, what's the problem with how the fasting is happening here? They're called hypocrites. Why? Because they're like, I'm fasting today. They're making an announcement. What's interesting, because it's like, isn't that like, the opposite of hypocrisy? Like, I, I'm telling you what I'm actually doing. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be hypocrisy to fast and not tell you? But the, the root of it is the heart issue that's present. Because it's all about what makes me a hypocrite is like, my fasting is all about an engagement with the Lord that has no place for look at what I'm doing is the third point. Fasting is about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about your motive, the motive of the heart to deny yourself. So you've got to be careful here that we don't make fasting to be a means to God. God, look what I'm doing for you. Not that there's anything against doing stuff for God, but if it becomes leverage, God, you owe me because I've denied myself, truth of the gospel is that we have everything in Christ, that our only access to the Father is through the sacrifice of the Son, right? So we can press into Him, and we have access to Him, not because of the obedient life that we live, but His acceptance frees us up to obey. Um, okay, so why, why fast? 
Let's talk about a couple things. Why, like, why would we fast? Other than the fact that it's implied here, it's commanded here, why would we fast? The first thing I want to mention is this. Fasting is a weapon in our spiritual fight. We looked last week, the idea, we'll never know what prayer is for until we realize that life is war, and that we're in a fight, and your soul is being demanded of you. And fasting is one of the weapons that, that God gives us in the fight Paul talked about this. There's a couple different lists in um, his writings that talk about the affliction that he endured and the pain that he endured. In one of those um, lists, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, he says this, midway through the list of all that he's endured, he says this, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He's describing what he's endured for the kingdom of God. And one of the things that he says in the battle, in the fight, is fasting. Literally could be translated often in fasting. Denying myself of something that I, that I need, that I want To run hard after the Lord. And what fasting does is this. It's a realization. Okay, there's a battle for my soul. And I need something to help reset the trajectory of my life. Okay? Of my purpose. And may- maybe like you're just really discouraged where you're at right now. In your job, in your hunt for a job. Maybe in marriage, maybe um, you're really discouraged, you're overwhelmed with work. Or maybe you're just fighting a battle within that you just don't really know what's going on. Maybe there's family issues, just not getting along with parents or siblings. Part of what we're called to do is reset the trajectory, and our perspective through pressing into Christ. But one of the means by which the Bible calls us to press into Christ is denial. Self-denial. I love, Piper puts it this way, fasting is not a no to the goodness of food or the generosity of God in providing it. So, So, like, we're here not to argue, like, is food godly? Absolutely. Especially when some of you cook. It's even more godly. Um, Okay, so it's not a denial of like God's provision. Fasting is is not a no to the goodness of God or the generosity of God in providing it. Rather, it's a way of saying from time to time that having more of the giver surpasses having the gift. how, How true is it of us? All of us. That more often than not, we would just be content with God's hand and not his face. We would just be people that are just content with what God wants to give us, but not actually God himself. It's, it's, the, it's the question maybe you've heard before. If God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go? Okay, it's pursuing the 
the gifts rather than the giver. And fasting is a means by which we say, I want to deny the gifts for a time and press in to the giver. And never lose sight of the fact that the gifts always lead us back to the one who gave them. Uh, The second thing is this. Fasting is a fruit of the Spirit. You're like, wait a second. I memorized uh, Galatians 5 when I was 7. I don't remember fasting in there. Take a look. Maybe you misread or mismemorized. Um, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Self-control. What do you mean fasting is a fruit of the Spirit? Here's what I mean. That there's a filling of the Spirit of God in our lives that as Christians, we should freely, in the Spirit's power, be able to say, It's, it's Paul's illustration of, I won't let anything master me. Not my anger, my rage. Not my possessions, not my money, not my longing for climbing the corporate ladder. I won't let anything master me. It's the spiritual gift of self, I'm sorry, the fruit of the spirit of self-control. But I can say no to that. Okay, from time to time, like, I have to do my best to say no to coffee. For the sake of my teeth, at least, right? Right, Katie? (laughs) Self-control. Next thing is fasting is to gain Christ. Fasting is to gain Christ. Paul puts it this way, Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, like, so he just got done unpacking this unbelievable list of like, why he's the best of the best of any person that's really ever walked the face of the earth regarding the things of God. And then here's his conclusion. But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, dung, crap. It's actually a more explicit word than I'll choose to say right now. In order that I may gain Christ. So he's like, deny myself. I discipline my body. You know that, that passage, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's like, no, I count everything as a loss. Like food, it's great. Sex, it's great. Owning a home is great. Having money is great. But it's not the end all. And it's not where the epitome of pleasure is found. It points us back to the giver. And without the giver, the gift sucks. But one thing that I think we have to be careful here is this attitude that fasting is a means to getting something that we don't have. Okay, because later on, Paul says in verse 12... Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
So I'm pressing to, to get my mind around all that I already have in Christ. So it's not like I'm straining for more of what I don't have. It's I'm straining to have proper perspective and understanding of all that I have. 2 Peter 1.3, he's given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Piper puts it this way, we ache and yearn and fast to know more and more of all that God is for us in Jesus, but only because he's already laid hold of us and is drawing us ever forward and upward into all the fullness of God. So let's get even more practical. Um, last thing, how to fast. How, how should we fast? Number one, determine what you will fast from. It's that simple. You can't fast unless you make a decision on what you should fast from. Let me help you. A couple questions. What tends to distract you from the Lord? What tends to distract you from the Lord? It might be a good idea to deny yourself of that. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's Twitter. You spend more of your time reading feeds. Maybe that's a distraction. So you say, I'm going to set that aside for a week. And during that time, I'm going to press into the Lord. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to call a friend and pray with him. What is it that distracts you from the Lord? Another question, where do you tend to find strength or relief? It's like, where do you run? When, like when things are hard, um, you're just like, I need a breather. Like, how do you wind down? What are those things? Food? It's like, I just got, just got to have that. I just, I just need a drink. Well, work is tough. I just need a drink. Where do you go to find relief? Maybe God would say, this week, deny yourself of that and press into me. Uh, next thing, how to fast. Determine how long you'll fast. Okay, I'm not packing, unpacking anything here that's, that's incredibly profound. Like just trying to be real practical here. How, how long? Okay? Um, that's totally going to be based on like your conversation with the Lord. Okay? But here's my only thing that I would recommend is what does sacrifice look like? What does it look like for you to sacrifice sleep to pray? What does it look like for you to, to sacrifice food? Okay, listen. We've all missed a meal. If you're going to fast from one meal, like I'm not... If that's what you feel like God's calling you to do, absolutely. But if you want to fast from food, try missing two or three meals. You want to experience hunger in a way that you want to meet the Lord in? Don't just skip breakfast and wake up at 11. Sacrifice. And the last thing is this. Attach it with prayer and scripture. Attach it with prayer and scripture. So don't just deny yourself of the, don't, like I'm not going to eat food and then not even pray. <laughs> That's kind of anti even the point, right? Or not even like engage the Lord on some level. But as you deny yourself to those things, like I'm not saying like miss three meals and take a hiatus from your family. I mean, maybe if that's the decision between you and your spouse, like I'm in all, in all seriousness. But it's an as-you-go type of thing. 
I long to be the kind of church that takes seriously the pursuit of the depths of God and takes hold of the weapons to fight the battles that are ever-present in our lives. We're an honest church that's honest about our struggles. But are we honest about wanting to really defeat the struggles in our lives? Or will we press forward in victory and in triumph as to what Christ has done on our behalf and the victory that we have and can claim this day? Fasting is a weapon that we have. And I challenge you as a, challenge you to engage it this week. I don't know what that looks like. And maybe, maybe on some level, God would call you to grab one person here and say, man, I want to do this. Will you do this with, with me this week? When I say fasting is a private thing, like that can still be private. Okay, what it's not is like, raise your hand if you're going to fast today, this week. You know, like, no. But in community, grab somebody. And what is it for you? How can I, how can I encourage you? How, what can you fast from this week? I want to do it too. Here's what I'm going to do. Pray for me. Send me scripture. Like, send me scripture. Send me ways I can pray for you. Let's press in to the depths of the Lord. Um, let me pray and we'll respond. Um, God, I thank you so much that you give us tools for the battle. You give us weapons for the battle. You're not a God that's just like the cosmic cop up in heaven that is demanding of us all the while with a smirk on your face thinking, good luck. But you fully engage and equip and fill us. And so God, might this week we take you up on this gift. Might this week We press into you more deeply. How would you lead us to be that kind of church? Thank you for your son. Thank you for your sacrifice. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.